On the block, on demand. Do you hear that? What is that? What is that? Yeah, what is that? The holder, Riley Dixon, and the kicker, Cole Murphy. Spot is down. The kick by Murphy is up and in. And orange uniforms pour out onto the field. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Taramina steps up. He shoots. He scores! Matt Taramina in overtime. Syracuse wins 2-1. to one. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. The fields make me wanna. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Here is your host. Got a bad feeling about this, Brent Axe. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that. Well, it doesn't never end because it ends at 6 o'clock, but, you know, like. It ends. Sometime. Anyway, great to have you. Happy Tuesday. Another beautiful day in central New York. Sunshine and 73 degrees as you make your way home. Or maybe you're listening on the ESPN app at uh, points all over this great United States of ours or around the world. Or perhaps you're listening on another time, on your time. It could be days from now. It could be tonight. It could be tomorrow. It could be next week. Because you can find us in Apple Podcasts and iTunes That's right. Just search ESPN Syracuse and iTunes. Hit that subscribe button and you get the best of our shows sent right to you. It's a beautiful thing. So if you want to listen on demand on your time, please subscribe in iTunes or look for us ESPN Syracuse in Apple Podcasts. 437-7644. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line is 288-0644. Seth Everett will join us later this hour on the baseball playoffs. On the Yankees and Mets. We were just talking about this before the update. I don't think both John Farrell and Joe Girardi return as managers of their respective teams. And I'm going to lean heavily on John Farrell ain't coming back. Maybe Girardi, particularly if they win game five tomorrow. But I want to get Seth's take on the future managerial positions with the Yankees and Red Sox, some other offseason things to look out for. I'm sure he'll have some thoughts on the Mets officially announcing that they are coming to Central New York. They are the owners and now operators and Major League affiliate of the Syracuse Chiefs. Joni Mahoney, the county executive, joined us last hour to discuss that. If you missed that interview, it's up at ESPNSyracuse.com so you can listen on demand on your time. Shifting a little bit to Syracuse and Clemson. Dabo Swinney. He is the head coach of Clemson. You knew that already. And while at his weekly press conference today, Asked about Syracuse, and he sees a team that he is impressed with. I can just tell you this is a, a program that's that's uh, definitely heading in the right direction and uh, very capable of beating us. I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, we're, we we we're, we got to play well uh, to, to win every single week. Uh, we know we're going to get everybody's best shot, and we love that. I mean, we embrace that, uh, you know. I don't want to have to sit around and wait on somebody to play bad. I just want to focus on playing good. I want to play well. And that's that's our focus each and every week. You know, we don't – and I think that's why we've been so consistent. We're not worried about the opponent. Uh, boy, I hope they make some mistakes or whatever. We just want to just play our best game. And, and that's what it's going to take, and that's our focus. I mean, but we got a lot of respect. But I, I can just tell you that – that uh, you're going to look up, you know, down the road here quickly 
And uh, this will be another one of those programs that you don't bring your A game, you're getting beat. Uh, this, this, they're going to they're gonna get better in a hurry. So Dabo is impressed with what Dino is doing here at Syracuse. Or recall, look, I am somebody that has been on the record and, and has said, I don't think Syracuse can beat Clemson Friday night. I hope it's a great game. I hope it's entertaining. I hope for entertainment purposes only they cover the point spread because that means we had a competitive football game. But you know, Dabo brought it up at his press conference today that he wasn't happy with the way Clemson came and played and only won 37-27 and, you know, he you know, when you're Clemson, you can have expectations that, you know, yeah, you can win by 10 points, but you did not even come close to your expectations. I was listening the other day to, it was right here on ESPN Radio, and it was Mike Golick Jr., and he was talking to, I want to say Barrett Jones. I, I could be wrong on that, but he was talking to somebody who played for Alabama, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Jones, and he was saying that, you know, Nick Saban was always more upset when, Alabama would win, but in his view, wasn't close to what their capability was. It had nothing to do with point differential. It had nothing to do with you beat a team by 20, 30, 40 points. If he didn't feel he played to their capability, he would get on them. Whereas certain teams, you win by 10, you just walk away and say, let's leave the details out of it. And I think Syracuse mostly is in that position. Can we discuss the weaknesses and the things they need to improve on against Pittsburgh like finding a way to start in the first half of the game, cutting back on penalties. Some of the concerns that are there, yes. But if you walk away and beat Pittsburgh by three at home, you just kind of leave that and say, got the one you need. Because the next two weeks, the eyes of the nation will be upon you. Friday night, ESPN, defending national champions in the house. You want to have a good showing. After that, the Miami game is set for either ESPN, ESPN2, or ABC. So as best as you can against two really good opponents, you want to show and verify what Dabo Swinney is saying there. And there's a little gamesmanship there, and coaches always compliment the other teams. But I think that uh, Dabo was, you know, genuine there. That if they keep going on this path, they're going to become a team that can sneak up and bite you. Talking about Syracuse now, if you're not on your game. Now, in order for Syracuse to have a shot, One of the things they need to do is get to the quarterback. That quarterback could be Kelly Bryant. That quarterback could be Hunter Johnson if he comes in. Either way, Syracuse has got to get to the quarterback. They've got to create a couple of turnovers and kind of affect the confidence of either quarterback. Dabo was asked about Kelly Bryant today, and here's what he said. Oh, well, yeah, no, he's still got to see him go practice today, and but uh, practiced all day yesterday, didn't miss a rep, so. Hopefully he'll be able to go again today. I think Kelly Bryant's playing Friday. Now, if you're Dabo, you want to be careful with Kelly Bryant, who has four hundred, just over 400 yards, seven rushing touchdowns this year. He has four passing touchdowns, four interceptions. He's got a great group of receivers. Deion Kane, Ray Ray McLeod, Hunter Renfro. Okay, he doesn't have the full stock of receivers, the Mike Williams of the world and some of the guys that have been there that are now in the National Football League the past couple of years, but this is going to be the stiffest challenge, the Syracuse secondary, which I think has played above grade. I think has played above expectations, particularly without Antoine Cordy, is going to face. If Bryant is in, you've got to account for a quarterback that can run the football, but you can get to him. The reason that Boston College was able to hang with Clemson for three quarters 
was Kelly Bryant. They got to him. They confused him. He was rushing throws, a couple of turnovers there. Clemson, look, it's impressive what they've done. They beat Auburn, but it was a gritty, defensive-oriented type of 14-6 game. Louisville was the complete opposite. 47-21 offense. And they went to Virginia Tech and just put their foot on their throat. In Blacksburg, defense helps this. Clemson is top 10 in the country in scoring defense, total defense, sacks, fewest yards allowed per play. Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence are two guys that are going to be in the National Football League one day. And there's a lot of players on that defense that maybe don't get the attention that those two do that are just as good. But it comes back to this central point. The best way to beat a team like this is to find a weakness and lean on it. Even if Kelly Bryant does not play, Hunter Johnson's a pretty darn good quarterback. He was the number one prep quarterback in the country in 2016. He played last week. He has some time. It's not like you're throwing him out there cold like Pittsburgh had to do and blew a red shirt on a kid because of – did you catch that at the end of the game, by the way? Ben DiNucci's helmet comes off, and by rule, he's got to sit out of play. So if somebody correct me if I'm wrong on this, didn't they blow that kid's red shirt because they put him out there? So you're not doing that. You know, Hunter Johnson's played. He hit the last five series last week when Clemson beat Wake Forest because Kelly Bryant was banged up. But I think you're going to see Kelly Bryant out there Friday night. I also think you're going to see Hunter Johnson out there Friday night because I think Clemson will establish themselves enough that Dabo can, you know, downshift, put Hunter Johnson in there, get him some reps, and not continue to risk injury to Kelly Bryant. I haven't even brought up the running game. This team can run the football. Travis Etnan. Tavian Feaster, I mentioned Bryant, can run the ball. The point is, there's not a lot of weaknesses here. So what Syracuse has to do is, whatever weaknesses there are, lean on them hard, get some turnovers, but there is no room for error in this game. You cannot have nine penalties and beat Clemson. You cannot start slow and try and get the engines cranking, and then you know, we'll make adjustments at halftime against Clemson. The weaknesses that have shown themselves the past few weeks, even with Syracuse either beating Pittsburgh or being competitive against LSU and NC State, they are magnified against one of the best teams in the country. And it's not just Clemson and the name brand of Clemson. It's just they're so deep and they're a team that doesn't make, you know, the quarterback can make mistakes because he's young and up and coming. But like I said, he's also looked great at times this year. They take every mistake, every dumb penalty, every, you know, taking a a whole quarter to establish yourself running the football, special teams mistakes that happen, and it's like times two. It's magnified against a team like that. So do you see a Syracuse team that is ready to play, in essence, a perfect game Friday night? Because that's what it's going to take to beat Clemson. And on that note, we will break. Seth Everett joins us next. He's a Syracuse guy. I'm sure he'll have thoughts on the Qs. He always does. But we will focus on the baseball playoffs, the future of Joe Girardi and John Farrell at manager, the Mets coming as the new owners, operators, and major league affiliate of the Syracuse Chiefs. Seth worked for the Mets back in the day. I'm sure he'll have thoughts on that and more. Maybe a little Star Wars talk, too. You're on the block. ESPN Radio. Stay right there. 
A special Saturday afternoon edition of High School Football this week on ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1. Bishop Grime hosts Pulaski. Coverage starts at 11.45 with Julian Wiggum and myself here on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. That it is, my friends. We built this show on rock and roll. Say there are takes that require a rise in temperature, even on a beautiful 73-degree sunny day in central New York. Those takes come your way now, my friends. Hit me with that fancy. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. You ever, uh, we've all heard the expression. I shouldn't say you ever. We've all heard the expression. Read the fine print. Verbiage is important. Documents are important. This is why lawyers make the money that they do, because they can go through documents with a fine-tooth comb, find exemptions to these documents, get their clients either in favor or ruled against in court. Well, the National Football League's policy about the National Anthem has come up a lot recently, perhaps you've heard people taking a knee, Donald Trump's not happy, yada, yada, right? Okay, let's do this. Yay, democracy. That's right. So, here's what the National Football League's policy says. It's game manual. These are game procedures. Game day, including the National Anthem. The NFL game manual says that players should stand during the National Anthem. A guideline that the league has left to the discretion of players who kneeled in larger numbers following criticism from President Donald Trump. No matter how you feel about the national anthem thing, and I am one that has said from the beginning, a year ago, when Colin Kaepernick started doing this, my stance is, while I respect your First Amendment rights, and I certainly respect the cause that you are bringing attention to, this will get lost in a bleep storm of patriotism. That your message will get drowned out by the Hannity's, the Russia's of the world, the people that will point at the flag and make this about everything but the message you're trying to get across. I have been proven right about that because this has become a discussion that's everything about or except, pardon me, what he was trying to get out there and others have tried to emulate. Your message will get lost in this. Find a different way to do it. That was my message from a year ago forward, and it is the message I still say today. Don't let your message get swept up in a whole lot of other things, knowing who. Now, this was when I felt last year Trump was not president, but I said if Trump is elected president, knowing the roads he'll go down and how this, it will get clouded. So you're losing. While as much attention has been brought to it and, and people are certainly more socially aware today and very healthy discussions have come out of this, frankly, it'll all get lost in a sea of patriotism, which is exactly what's happened. So all that being said, the NFL is now looking into a big topic of discussion at the ownership meetings next week will be to change that from should to required that you stand during the anthem. Now, I don't want to read this whole thing. But Roger Goodell sent a memo today, which was acquired by the Associated Press, NBC News, 
It's out there. You can read this. Sent to chief executives and club presidents from Goodell today. Quote, we live in a country that can feel very divided. Sports, and especially the NFL, brings people together and lets them set aside those divisions at least for a few hours. The current dispute over the national anthem is threatening to erode the unifying power of our game and is now dividing us and our players from many fans across the country. I'm very proud of our players and owners who have done the hard work over the past year to listen, understand, and attempt to address the underlying issues within their communities. At our September committee meetings, we heard directly from several players about why these issues are so important to them and how we can support their work. Last week, we met with the leadership of the NFLPA and more players to advance the dialogue. Like many of our fans, we believe that everyone should stand for the national anthem. It is an important moment in our game. We want to honor our flag and our country, and our fans expect that of us. We also care deeply about our players and respect their opinions and concerns about critical social issues. The controversy over the anthem is a barrier to having honest conversations and making real progress on the underlying issues. We need to move past this controversy, and we want to do that together with our players. So they're going to make a rule that says you got to stand for the anthem. This is going to be one of those, we respect you, we heard you, we gave you a voice. Now it is time to put in a policy that no matter how you feel, for those two minutes, we're all standing, we're all respecting the flag. Which again, we all did before Kaepernick took a knee. Kaepernick takes a knee on the advice of a Green Beret. He initially sat on the bench, talked to a Green Beret and said, look, if you're going to do this, this is a respectful way to make your voice heard to do your protest. Right? Again, I'm not saying you have to agree with that. I'm saying this became about something that I didn't think was a problem. Most of us, I think, we can come to the conclusion, respect the flag, respect the national anthem, even though people are in beer lines during the national anthem. At games, including in Syracuse, New York, people scream, oh, other teams have some sort of variation that they do during the I saw a video today. Now, this is not an actual flag. It is a print of a flag, right? But if you want to go down the road of patriotism and respect the flag, right, which, again, was not even the message here, but that's what it became about. Last night, the Houston Astros' official Twitter feed sent out a photo, and I, I forgive me, I'm not sure who the player is, a player in an American flag Speedo getting doused with champagne and beer celebrating their win over the Red Sox. Now, again, that's not an actual American flag he wrapped around himself and got sprayed with, but if you want to go by the official flag code, and there is such a thing, tell me how that is respectful to the flag. I have not heard a peep about that today from the people you would expect because they're on this campaign, they're on this crusade to make us respect the flag. Somebody please tell me how that respects the flag. So if you're going to do it here, my only thought is it's got to be consistent. And this entire conversation has gone off the deep end because it's about everything about what it was intended to be, which is what I said from the beginning. While I respect your voice and I cannot even begin to relate to what somebody like Colin Kaepernick or anybody of African-American descent or black in this country and how they're treated by law enforcement and things they have gone through. That's not the time to do it because your message will get lost. And everything we have seen and heard to this point 
only proves me right. That's hot. And that's sad, and I don't wish that on anybody, and I wish that wasn't the case, but, you know, I, I just saw this coming. So now Goodell is going to drop the hammer, and they're going to put a rule in place. Jerry Jones has gone as far to say, you won't play if you don't, in, in his view, whatever view that is, respect the flag, which he has every right to do, by the way. It's his team, right? You can protest, but then as the owner of the team, I can then tell you, you're not playing for my team, not at my stadium. Go do it somewhere else, right? There you go. I just solved this whole national anthem thing. It will no longer be a problem. Yay, democracy. Trump can move on to tweeting about how he's smarter than Rex Tillerson and, and very important things that we need to discuss, right? Okay. What else we got in hot takes today? Big NFL trade. Adrian Peterson has been traded to the Arizona Cardinals for a conditional draft pick. So far, 27 carries, 81 yards for the Saints. The Cards need big-time help running the football. They're at just 2.6 yards per carry. This comes 10 years after the Cardinals passed on him in the 2007 draft, taking Levi Brown a tackle with the fifth pick. The Vikings ended up with Peterson at number 7. He needs 485 more yards to become the 10th all-time in rushing. And my thought is, that broke down very quickly. New Orleans needed him. They needed that offense. They needed a running back to come in and kind of beat. Now, the problem was AP probably thought he was coming in as the main option. Obviously, that did not turn out to be the case. That little sideline tiff that he had with Sean Payton. And from the beginning, this kind of felt like, okay, this isn't going to last. But I didn't think he'd get traded this year, and for a conditional draft pick. I'm tempted to say, although I don't think this fits fully, but I'm tempted to say how the mighty have fallen here. Now, Peterson, of course, had the off-field controversies and injuries. He is not the Adrian Peterson we knew and loved. But can he go to Arizona and help that team that desperately needs it? Is he going to be a feature player there? That's hot. It would appear to be more of a feature player there than in New Orleans. That was a very short marriage. Now, Giant fans, we talked about your team yesterday and they're 0-5, and not even in your wildest dreams could you imagine this team being that bad. So you knew that Odell Beckham Jr., bad news there. You knew Dwayne Harris, bad news there. We found out last night Brandon Marshall has been added to that list. As Marshall wrote on Instagram, tomorrow, meaning today, Tuesday, I'll have surgery ending year 12. I'm filled with mixed emotions. I wasn't able to produce for my team the way I wanted to, but this was my greatest year to date. This game has shown me who I really am, good and bad. He had 18 catches for 154 yards. So Beckham, Harris, Brandon Marshall, gone. From an offense that needs all three of them, let alone, of course, Odell Beckham Jr. The market out there to replace these guys if you've got to go find wide receivers, is not exactly robust. Let me put it to you that way. And I know this because I'm a Bills fan, and they need receivers. And I looked, and I was like, whoa, this <laughs> this is not good. right? If This is why depth is so important. This is why you can never, and you can only have certain people on a roster, but you can never have enough skill position guys. You can never have enough certain players of a position. The Bills were a couple of good wide receivers away, and I hate to keep making excuses for Tyrod Taylor because at some point Tyrod Taylor is going to show 
that he can lead a team on a winning drive, even without his full arsenal there. But a quarterback is only as good as his receivers. And as much as people want to blame Ben McAdoo or Eli Manning, and Eli Manning obviously plays better in the hurry-up offense, so we'll see how that continues to progress, but there's no one out there. You look at the available receivers, and you got to try it. you got to see what you can do because you have no other choice. But I looked at the field the other day, and I was like, well, it's a good thing the Bills have a bye week. I'll just put it to you that way. That's hot. Giant fans with a desperate need for wide receivers. I don't know what direction you're going to go in, but I wish you luck. By the way, was I drunk yesterday on this show? The guy is drunk. When Seth asked me how many wins I thought the Giants would end up with. Did I say six? I think I said that. And I, I think that... Uh, Dumb. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. Can... What movie is that? Care to change your... Oh, that's a member in uh, The Fugitive. Care to change your story, sir? We found these leg shackles. Yeah, can I can I have that back? Did I say that? That's real? Can we check the tape on that? Six? No, I said, um, what rhymes with six or sounds like six? That would, Two, one, three, four, none. I said that. I did that. That was me. That's just dumb. Yes. Yes, it is. What was I thinking? Six? I said that. I said that. I were looking for six. Anyway, we'll break on that note. We've got some Syracuse football to discuss, including some very complimentary things that uh, Dabo Swinney said about the Orange today. Seth Everett next hour. We've got more to come. We'd love to hear from you at 437-7644. Brent Axe Media on Twitter. The text line's 288-0644. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.